the weight of that moment really hit me hard in the sense that like, I don't want to screw this up. I, I'm, I have not had a ton of acting experience. And I turned to Annie and just like looked at her and we, I just said like, are you, are you a little nervous? And she was like, yeah, I, I almost didn't show up today. And there was such a comfort, I think, for the two of us in that scene and in that moment to know that we were going to do this journey together. Hello, and welcome to Entertainment Weekly's Binge. We have a very special bonus episode today. I'm Shana Naomi Crockmall. And I'm Patrick Gomez. And we have reunited along with none other than multi-Emmy winner Dan Levy, to talk about the sixth and final season of Schitt's Creek. Patrick, how are you? I'm good. And it's not just a multi-Emmy winner. It's multi-kilt wearer now. Like we are, yes. we've gotten a whole line of kilts at this point and I'm, I'm kind of living for it. So look, you know, we said when we did both the first five seasons of Binge, which if you haven't listened to yet, obviously you should be listening to before you listen to this. But also Patrick, you and I spent, you know, the better part of a year working on EW on set and a weekly companion show for season six as it um, aired originally on the CBC and Pop TV and now is on Netflix. It's in syndication. And so we have talked about this show a lot, but we were not going to let it go. And Dan had promised he would come back to talk through things one more time, which he has. If you discovered it because you were watching the Emmys and you were like, what's what's this? Should I watch this show? And hopefully you did. And the answer was definitely yes. People are watching it. But let's be clear. If you have not watched the sixth and final season of Schitt's Creek, go do that and then come listen to this podcast because there will be many spoilers. We are going to give everything away. We are going to talk about what it all means up through the very final moments of the show. Patrick, let's talk briefly about Emmy's night. Oh, you mean the night of a thousand tears for me? Yes. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> when did you start crying? Honestly, it was when the first award was for Catherine's, I guess, and they're showing just little clips of the show. And it all it was was just like a clip from, uh, I believe it was The Wedding. Um, Have you rewatched it since we like kind of wrapped our show? I haven't rewatched the last season um, since yeah, we wrapped neither. our show. Um, so it was just like seeing that footage again. Like I instantly was brought back to watching that finale and just the emotion of all of that and the show coming to an end. And so it started there where even even if even if they hadn't won all these awards and that I wasn't like getting emotional because I was watching them win, just seeing that like just it, it was such a feeling of home and comfort. So uh, the, the, the more things I was so glad they were even just nominated for so many things because we at least got little frames or clips or moments from the episodes mm -hmm. uh, but i just I, I i loved watching the the reaction of all of the um all of the cast in the background i was so glad that they were able to find a way to safely get together so that was my evening how was yours i <laughs> um people who follow me on twitter might know i was having a sort of unexpected um moment in my life and trying to get away from the smoke and the wildfires in Los Angeles. And I happened to be not where I thought I was going to be, but on that night, on Emmy's night, I was in this small town in New Mexico called Madrid, which is like an artsy little, um, it's like two blocks long, basically former mining town, um, about a half hour south of Santa, Santa Fe. It is the Schitt's Creek of the Southwest. Like everything about it it felt like I had fallen into like an alternate version of Schitt's Creek. Um, and 
it was delightful. I felt like it was a good sign that the Airbnb I was staying at had a, a hung up like um, an oven mitt that had a crow on it. And I was like, Moira is in the building. This seems like a good sign. But I, it was, I think similarly, I was, I, you know, so much had been going on and I've been traveling and I was like, okay, wait, this is the Emmys. This is this moment. Is this going to happen for the show? We want it to. Like, obviously we feel invested in it. And as the show started from that first win on, I just like kept sitting on the couch and I just got like, I couldn't even move. I was sort of paralyzed with glee. I was like, this is really happening. Carly and I, our producer, we were texting some. By the time we got to the end and the question of whether Annie was going to truly help them sweep this, I was like in such a state of like terror and joy and confusion that it like really didn't feel real. And then they won everything. I, w- I would have hated for everyone to get uh, an individual kudos and not and not Annie. So uh, yeah. who, who I think I've been very vocal here. Like I love every single person on the show, but I think that the show doesn't work. Uh, without Annie being as fantastic as she was. So I was very glad that she got to be celebrated in that way. Okay, so let's talk about what we're going to hear today. First of all, as true to his word, Dan Levy and I sat down yesterday on Zoom and had um, a great conversation about season six and sort of about the show overall. We tried really hard to talk about things we hadn't talked about before. We answered some questions from fans that you suggested um, on Twitter, we we talked about like, you know, what's happening now, what's happening next. Um, some very surprising little teases from him about some things that um, might still surprise you and surprised me. Um, we're going to get to all of that. Let's talk about season six. If you listen to all of season six EW on set, thank you. And you've heard some of these next set of interviews already. But they were wonderful to go back and revisit. We wanted to let the cast talk about the sixth season at length uh, with fewer edits to make sure that we didn't spoil anything ahead of time and uh, just a little bit more more room to breathe. Um, Here are some of our favorite moments from that season. Looking back, Patrick, what would you say is your favorite episode from season six? Oh man, favorite. Oh, that's, I mean, you know, it's hard not to say the finale uh just because it's the finale um and uh i thought there was just so many beautiful moments and again i i you know i i think the cop out is to say it's the i choose the finale because it's the finale but i think uh, i'm choosing it because it showed such the perfect balance that the show hit um in that Mm -hmm. uh you have these this beautiful wedding moment and yet it's totally uh, kind of thrown for a loop because of this happy ending situation. Why would I want you to get a happy ending from a stranger on our wedding day, David? You tell me! Because I was stressed out and you told me you wanted to de-stress me? I just assumed you knew what you were paying for. I was both shocked and impressed. We spoke at length with many of the cast about it, but let's take a little listen to what Dan, Noah, and Catherine all had to say about filming that uh, very emotional scene. For me, a series finale should just be a really fun, great episode of your show. I don't think it should be anything different than that. And so that's really what we went into this, writing this last episode with, that that was sort of our philosophy, that we were just going to tell a really fun episode of the show. Um, We also knew that it was going to be a wedding, that the stakes were high. There's so much that needed to be done just aesthetically, like how it all came together. What were they going to wear? um, What was Moira going to wear? We put together what I think is the crowning achievement 
sartorial achievement of the series. Her, you know, papal look to officiate the wedding. Um, it was just a great day and it was a very emotional day for everybody. Uh, and, you know, I think Rizwan, who plays Ray, who flew in for the day, is there's a shot of him watching tears streaming down his face. And I remember thinking, like, that's such a for like Ray to be crying is such a brilliant <laughs> choice. Yeah. I wish I could have scripted that because it was like, of course he would. I mean, all of these people care that Everyone much. Is crying. But it was just Rizwan like feeling emotional in the moment. Um, which I think, again, is like a great testament to the fact that people care, like the actors enjoy being on the show and we've had a really good time. So I really feel confident in the way that we've chosen to end the show. And I think it really does. Um, it's a nice wink and a nod to the audience. And I think it's cer- it certainly is a gives a big hug to the show and, and the characters. And it's nice that even though you work through all these choices and like big couple moments of like, are we going to have kids? What does this mean? And also, mm-hmm. what are we going to wear in our engagement photos? There's not like that runaway bride moment. There's never any real jeopardy that this wedding isn't going to happen. Why was that? Or not, you know, mm-hmm. that they weren't going to get married no matter well, how, right? That to or me is, there? I think, probably one of the things that I always sort of have found troubling about certain TV tropes, the like, will they, won't they thing, um, because it's easy and it, it does provide sort of like an instant tension. But I mean, people watching this show know how solid this relationship is. So to then play uh, the will they, won't they felt like everyone knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So just give them what they want. And it's a little bit harder to continue to, I think we spoke about this before. It's, it's a little har- harder to tell a successful relationship to tell, continue to tell stories about two people that like just like each other, but I think it's what I'm. It's one of the storylines I'm most proud of because we were able to just tell a successful relationship without having to like break them up four times and bring in a person who maybe will pose a threat to one of them or. Um, it really, and I think for me, knowing that they were two men, knowing that it was a gay relationship, and. Uh, and just wanting to show the stability and the security of these two people just getting each other and having it be nothing but love and, you know, and encouragement. And obviously there's bumps along the road, which we explored in the show, but that the relationship itself would never be put into question, that these two people were sort of in it to win it. What was it actually like to film that, that wedding? I mean, emotional, I'm sure. It was probably the most emotional blocking of a scene that I've ever experienced. I mean, it was in the town hall set, completely uh, covered with flowers and filled to the brim with people and the jazz gals on either side singing these beautiful arrangements that our, our choral arranger Aaron came up with and, you know, meaningful songs from from the rest of the series and, you know, seeing Moira enter like the like a Viking Pope. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> outstanding. And, and Catherine's performance on the day of just like officiating the wedding and trying to get through it, um, was incredibly beautiful and hilarious and moving all at the same time. Um, it was a, it was a pretty magical day, really. Um, very emotional. And <laughs> I think Dan was just like, 
Dan's eyes never stopped watering that day. I'm pretty sure uh, it was uh, it was great. I think in you know it was um, yeah, it's a lot of people to manage, but it was there was a lot of love in that room, and I think we all had the feeling that um, this was a significant moment for for television, certainly for Canadian television. I think we were all really uh, really happy to be there and and just sort of feeling the love, you know. Talk to us about the vows, because I think that probably is going to be the moment that gets people the most. <laughs> well, you never know. Um, at one point, Dan told me that the vows would be uh, would be the the lyrics to Mariah Carey's uh, "Always Be My Baby," and yeah, I, I I just thought that was such a brilliant reference to the "You're My Mariah Carey" moment, which was such a thing when Mariah tweeted it out that was pretty wild i don't think dan will ever forgive me for mariah carey tweeting my face instead of his <laughs> but you know i'll carry that with me always uh <laughs> but yeah so we, we it, you know and he had come to me and said listen i the lyrics are are what's in the script and you know you can figure out if you want to say it or you want to sing it and uh and I was like, okay, well, I'll think about that. And I sort of took it away and tried it both ways. And um, and at the table read, I was like, so would, do you want me to sing it or or speak it? And he was like, do it, do whatever you want, do whatever you want. What did you do at the table read? I sang it. I sang it at the table read. Um, I'm like getting emotional right now. <laughs> I know. I well, it is. It, it's incredibly evocative, and I think like you know something that he's always had an eye on doing is like taking things that he loves in pop culture, the Tina Turner song is a great example of this, taking that and, you know, paying homage to it, but doing it totally differently within the construct of another narrative and uh, decontextualizing it and recontextualizing it. And, you know, I think that's like, it's a bit of a sucker punch, really, like to, to hear that chorus within the construct of, of, this relationship in that moment, um, you know, sung by Patrick, I think is like, you know, it's, it certainly hit me <laughs> on the day. Um, so yeah, that was, a that was a, that was a good one. That was a fun one. How many takes were there? Um, probably, well, you know, we do it from, we, it, it was that kind of day where we're like, okay, well now we're over with Roland and Jocelyn and now we're on to Ray who's like filming it. And now we're over with the, with Johnny and Alexis, and now we're you on more. Everyone's so reaction. You got to do it. I, we were doing it all day, so I don't know how many times I actually did it. I would say that I got the words right, um, maybe three times. <laughs> we only need one. That's yeah, true. It's true. It's amazing in those moments where you're like, you're in the middle of singing it, and your brain is just like, "What is it? What is it? What is it?" <laughs> Alexis is wearing a wedding dress to David's wedding. That was something that I knew from the very beginning. I was, I, even when we started to brainstorm the, the fact that we would probably end this series with the wedding, I was like, Alexis has to wear a wedding dress to her brother's wedding because no one's wearing a wedding dress to the wedding, so why couldn't she wear a white dress? And just the principle of David saying like, it's not your day. <laughs> why are you wearing a white dress? And her just denying the fact that it was a wedding gown. That it almost doesn't even occur to her. No, you know? well there's a huge tulle bow on the end and it did come with a headdress. That she, she calls it a headdress. A headdress. Not a veil. Yeah. Um, I would go with probably the rain. I would say probably that was the, the biggest wrench. Major wrench. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we didn't get a tent. 
No, but it was a really wonderful way of bringing the community together and, sh and having a last goodbye with the town because we felt like what better way to show the camaraderie and the growth of the relationship between the family and the town than have them all sort of pitch in at the last minute yeah, absolutely. And, and make something wonderful out of nothing. It never really happens the way that you think it's going to happen, and the way that it happens ends up being the way that it had to happen. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of lovely that way. It ends up being more meaningful somehow. Daniel told me on the phone before we started shooting that I would end up officiating the wedding. I said, oh, great, great. We talked about a mitre. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, later on, you know, it was really just great fun with wardrobe. <laughs> Uh, but also, you know, Moira's been the most uh, determined to get out of here. I think Moira came from a small town and got out once. So it's way more threatening to her than anyone else. Um, and you can see she's kept the facade of that past life that will become again her future life with her wardrobe and her wigs and the way she behaves and speaks. And she's held it together because someone has to. And then we get to the wedding and she just, it was fun. I got to fall apart. At the sight of my dear son, my dear Bebe, getting married. As all the viewers fall apart as well. Yeah. And I had to cry over and over and over and over that day. And it was so easy knowing that it was our last season. And I looked around at all the people of the town. Mm. Yeah. It was very sweet. What about you, Shana? Obviously the finale, but I'm going to say 613 because that was, to me, that turning point of David and Stevie talking through why he needed to stay and why he wanted to stay. Why do you want to go back to a place that's done nothing but hurt your feelings? Because I want those people to know that I'm not a joke. And that I have won. David, look at this place. You won. And maybe this is just like a very selfish, personal, lucky, you know, moment. But we were standing there when they filmed that scene. And we were standing there when you know, and got to watch in person the the scene when um, David brings Patrick to the house and reveals that that he has, in some form, form or fashion, purchased this house for them to live in and stay in Schitt's Creek. What about New York? I thought that's where you wanted to be. I thought so too, but it's not where you want to be. And I don't want to be anywhere you don't want to be. David, I promise I will make you so happy here. You fucking better. <laughs> You and I cried. We we cried about crying. It, we cried when we talked about them, you know, afterwards. But it wasn't that I didn't need the finale, but I felt like on an emotional decision kind of level, to me, that's the episode that I think I'll always really hold in my heart. We actually got to speak to Emily Hampshire uh, when we were there uh, on set, um, talking about that scene where they really talk it out sitting on that car. Um, let's take a little listen to that. I mean, that scene felt like best ending, even though it's not the ending, but it felt like the best ending to David and Stevie's relationship. Um, it feels like it just came so full circle. And it was actually really, I wouldn't say fun is the wrong word. I usually never have fun having fun anyways, but like, uh, it just felt like warm and comfortable and good in a way that you wouldn't think of with an emotional scene like that. But it it just felt like David and Stevie being deeply honest with each other, being their most themselves themselves with each other without kind of the sarcasm and the, um, 
the things that make it easier to not have a real moment. You're being good friends to each other, yeah. like in that hard way. Oh, in that, oh, exactly. You're nice people. You're being nice people in that moment. <laughs> You're actually being a good person because good you are person. telling him that truth and really challenging him. But it is like, we cried yeah. like literally within like 10 seconds of the first take, by oh, the way. I mean, we you should have seen us at the read through of this episode but in this scene I was dying but like there's so much in it because like you said good people like as I was saying that I realized and I only realized it actually in the moment I is that like good people like Patrick not like these people in New York these are good people and like this is what good people do and even though I make the joke of like like not like us but we're being good people to each other here um I mean the whole show People are ultimately good people to each other. <laughs> and of course, we have Dan and Noah also talking about the house. You had us in tears with this scene uh, with David and, mm. and uh, Stevie on the car. Watching mm -hmm. that was such a treat. And we were glad <laughs> to be there. Crying and laughing. Mm -hmm. And talk to us about what, what was your mindset? In, because you were like, you saw us, you were waving, laughing, everything. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you just sit on the car and you're like, you're bawling. Right. <laughs> you're um, a very good crier. Oh. Very good. Championship crier. Thank you very, very much. very impressed. Yeah. Well, it, I, I do feel like you guys came on a day that was very, there was a lot going on. Um, yes, thank you. You guys that, have a crack publicity team that chose really good scenes for us to see. <laughs> yeah. That scene I think spoke so much to the character's entire journey and you know it's it comes in a very pivotal point in the show and in his life and there are these moments as you wrap up the whole series where you realize like some characters really need to go through it um and they've earned that and I, I think also as a as a you know knowing that this is a comedy you never want anything to play too heavy or too sincere or too emotional but for me the most exciting times are where we feel like we've earned those moments and you can really take the all the sort of expectation out of it and just play it real and obviously there's there's going to be comedy and it will always oh by the way that farm that across the street actually smelled when we oh, by the end of the day, absolutely. Yeah. No, there I was, was like, manure. Oh, they're not. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. not just a joke on the page. It's it, it pungent. Over Fortunately, here. it helped the whole experience. But <laughs> yeah. um, really, method. You poured that manure. Right? Yeah, and I think, like you know, in terms of crying, I don't even know if that's acting. I think that's just having spent six years with this person and feeling so much for him in that moment. Walk us through the decision to have David decide to stay. I think at the end of the day. If you were to really sit down with these characters, the show itself is essentially like someone saying, let's take five and take you out of your life for six seasons in our case. But in reality, it's about three and a half years and really deprogram everything that you thought was important and valuable and send you back into the world as quote unquote better people. That's something that nobody has the opportunity to do, and that I think is what's been so special about this show. So if you were to think about someone like Moira, as much as fans you know, want her to stay in the town and they want Johnny to stay and Alexis to stay and the family to stay there for the rest of their lives, I think the big the, the challenge was 
how can you reconcile what the fans expect, which is for this all to live happily ever after in a motel for the rest of time, with what the characters really want? And those characters, as much as they love this place, are destined for bigger things. Johnny does want to get his business back up and running and be in the center of everything. And Moira does want everything that she had before, but she wants it now with a slightly clearer perspective and with a level of gratitude that I think they never had before. And I think for someone like Alexis, who's really come here and instantaneously tried to make the best of a, of a bad situation, um, that's what she was doing. She was making the best of a situation that was that never really fit for her. She was always a little bit... <laughs> you know, her stories and the life she's led, that was a life that she found very exciting and that she really liked. I think the people she surrounded herself with were probably not the best people, but she thrives in high stakes situations. So to send her back out into the world like a changed person, but with an, an even greater sense of, you know, inspiration and ambition was a really for us was really valuable and something that I think really respected the character. And David was the only one that never seemed to fit in, if you were to think about it, in the big cities. And it wasn't until he came here and met people and ingratiated himself as best he could in this town that he realized like, oh, there's a place for me here. So I think that it really just, we sat with those characters for a long time and thought, okay, should they all leave? Should they all stay? Should some of them leave? Should some, should some of them stay? And um, and it just, it became very clear that David was the one that should stay because he was the one that wanted to leave the most. I mean, him and Moira, but, um, and it also creates a tie to the town and um, and a way for the audience to feel like we're not just up mm -hmm. and leaving this place. They'll always have a home here. And it was, his, someone. it was his town. Yeah, yeah, it was given to him. Legally, it was given his town to him, and here he is staying. So yeah, it was it was an it was a tough. That was a tough sort of brainstorm, but it once you really thought about the characters and removed audience expectation, that's when it all became quite quite clear. Tell us about this scene from today. Well, uh, this is uh, I guess one of our our big. Uh, big emotional moments of of the season and of of the series really for for David and Patrick they they this is the scene where we find out that we are going to stay in Shit's Creek and have have bought a house you know Patrick doesn't know that blindfolded and then is sort of uh, surprised with this this house that he thought we were going to we were going to live in anyway so it's uh it'll be a a, a sweet little moment i think um for, for the two of them and uh, and a big step in a relationship for sure. How did you feel when you guys did the first table read for this? Oh, uh, <laughs> it was the table reads got more and more emotional, and this one was probably the most the most emotional. Dan was sitting next to me, uh, openly weeping, and this noise emerged from him uh, uh, that I then started calling the noise. It was like him trying to contain the tears so much and it would just like would sort of result in this sort of like snorting noise and like him like trying desperately not to cry and then at moments just you'd look around the table and everybody was just in pieces so it was uh probably a longer table read than usual um <laughs> we had a lot of crying pauses and a lot of uh a lot of reaching for tissues and uh 
yeah, it, it was uh, it was fun. Did you <laughs> did you cry? No, I'm the I'm the least emotional of the cast. I would say probably. I mean, and that's that's probably partially because uh, I've I've lived in the house that is Shit's Creek for for less time, but also because I think I sort of exist in a in a Patrick world where he's sort of like just holding it all together, being the being the glue of the situation. And so I felt like my job in that table read was just to put a hand on Dan's shoulder and try to get him through it. Okay, so let's talk about just a handful of other favorite moments. Is there a moment, Patrick, that you're thinking of that um, separate from the ones we've already discussed that uh, was a highlight for you from season six? You know, there's there's a few obvious. I mean, well, there's many. Um, but one of the ones that first comes to mind is getting to see Alexis and Stevie have that moment. Again, it's one that we saw in person, but I think it plays out beautifully just on camera as well uh, when they are uh, kind of planning the wedding and and Stevie isn't doing a fantastic job at being uh, the maid of honor. Um, but Alexis realizes that she needs this. Um, and just that moment of growth between those two characters that we didn't really see a ton of on the show. Um, that was a really beautiful, beautiful moment um, for me. And actually, here's Annie talking uh, about that moment. Well, I think it means a lot to Alexis um, because she did have her heart set on being the maid of honor. And I think it was a very big person moment for Alexis to kind of relinquish those sisterly duties and give them over to Stevie. Um, not without a few not, minor digs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All. It was a bit of a bumpy road to get there, but I feel like Alexis has finally matured enough that it, you know, she's, she's, she understands that Stevie needs it more than she does. Um, and then to walk David down the aisle Alexis realizes that as a very significant part to play in the wedding as well. I I love working with <laughs> Emily. I feel like Annie and Emily have kind of a similar relationship to Alexis and Stevie in the sense that I really felt like I needed to work to get Emily to like me. And now I am in. I am so in with Emily. But it was like, I was like, oh God, like a little nervous around her at first and just trying to get her to laugh or whatever. So it was, it's nice to now have that kind of warmth in the relationship that I have with Emily that we can play in the Stevie Alexis dynamic too. Um, and we don't get a lot of scenes together, but the scenes that we do have are usually pretty special. Similarly, I think the the episode where they go hunting for the, the venue um, mm -hmm. for the wedding. The yeah, the first one. Yeah, like that was fantastic. Uh, and and there's a lot going on there between Alexis and David. I, again, like I, I, I love like I love all the characters, but I think a lot of Alexis's moments are really what stands out to me. Um, and then if I had to choose a third, though, it would definitely be uh, any time that Victor Garber and Catherine O'Hara got to share the you screen. You can't take my Victor Garber. That was mine. No, okay, well, go fine. ahead. Tell us, we tell can, us why. We can share Victor Garber. The triple slap. <laughs> How dare you make me kill my father twice? <gasps> You'll pay for this one day. I mean, Patrick, have any two people on a podcast talked as much about Victor Garber as you and I? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And if so, I want to be friends with them. And I want to hear that podcast. So please tell us. Yeah. Um, so obviously just the casting of Victor Garber, the only real stunt cast in Schitt's Creek history, right? As Moira's former co-star slash nemesis from her soap days and his return uh, was just 
amazing. You really think you would be head of surgery at sunrise, General, if you weren't possessed by your father, who also happened to be the former head of surgery at sunrise, General? And of course, we had to talk to basically everyone who would deign to talk to us about Victor Garber. Um, we spoke to Victor, we spoke to Annie, Catherine, and Eugene. When I was asked to do this, it came out of the blue, and Eugene sent me a, a, an email and said, you know, would you consider... I said, I would be so privileged and honored to be a part of this show. I couldn't believe they were asking me to do it. And uh, it was uh, one of the highlights of the year, for sure. It's uh, one of the best experiences I've had. You know, I, I've known Catherine my whole, most of my life, and I've never, we've never worked together. And so uh, I, I, the, the idea that I would get to work with her as well was uh, Pretty exciting. Are you a fan of the show anyway? And have yes, I am a fan. I'm it? a big fan of the show. I, I, I haven't, I, you know, I'm not up to date and I don't, you know, but I, 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 I caught up on, on the first couple of seasons uh, a while back and I haven't been able to watch much TV lately. And, uh, but it's one of those things that I look forward to sitting, you know, over a weekend, just losing myself in that world. And I just finished working on a movie in Pittsburgh and, and Daniel was in it. And uh, so that was a joy. When did you first meet Dan? I know you've known Eugene, obviously, and Catherine for so long, but when, when did you first meet the, you know, as a I, child or as an adult? No, he was kind of an, a teenager. And I, it was, I can't exactly remember when. I think it was when he was working at, um, in Toronto on that music station that he was sort of DJing on. And, and then he suddenly became known. Has he changed? Or do you feel like he is like a grown-up version of, of the teenager you remember? Or is, what is it like you to know, work with him as an adult now? His intelligence is uh, daunting. I'm sort of intimidated by him because I think he's, he's a genius. And, um, you know, he, listen, he comes from fine stock. He's, his mother and his father are pretty extraordinary. And um, uh, so he's, he's a great compilation of those people. What do you remember about first meeting Eugene? I remember his, um, his audition. I, I mean, we all kind of met that, that one fateful day in Toronto, you know, Gilda, Marty, um, and I knew Andrea Martin before that, but I didn't know Eugene or Marty and, um, uh, or Gilda, obviously. And that's, that day we were all sort of singled out to become the, uh, we were the cast and we all found out that day. Uh, wow. so it was, uh, it was pretty heady and, uh, exciting. What do you remember about meeting Catherine for the first time? She told us about how her brother was dating Gilda, and so that was how she sort of came to a show for the first time. But do you have any recollection of when you first met her, first really sort of talked to her? I only remember the first, I think, seeing her on on uh, Second City, uh, like on stage at, at the Second City uh, Cabaret. I just remember uh, finding her intoxicating Uh because she she is you know uh, she's one of the most talented people I've ever worked with or known and and I I was um, she was she was kind of uh, inspiring to 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 see on stage and I remember that more than anything. Let's talk first about the flashback, like these actual sunrise day scenes. Your well, that your was, wig. Was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Tell I mean, us about I mean, shooting was, that and about that wig and about all of that. Well, the wig was, uh, I mean, because that wasn't the first try. That was <laughs> a couple of really scary ones. 
Um, and then, and they found that, and it looked very much like the, my, the way my hair looked when I was doing on the album of the Sugar Shop, which is a Canadian group I was all in. And <clears throat> it was kind of, I looked like that person. We could barely get through it. We were laughing so hard. Um, it was just the perfect, uh, when, when Eugene described what the, the role was and how it was going to work. And, and as soon as he said flashback, I said, well, I'm in. So, so filming it was just, uh, it was just hilarious. I have to say about Victor Garber, we were all so excited that he was on the show. Um, and I did, I wasn't working the days that he was in, so I didn't get to meet him, which was, I was devastated about, but, um, I did get the great, uh, pleasure of being there at the table read when Victor called in from LA and we put him, he was in, his voice was coming through a iPhone in a fruit bowl right in front of me. So it was like, there was a tiny little Victor Garber sitting on the table right in front of me and he came in swinging like he just he just went like absolutely committed to the character right out of the gates and um had everyone cackling at the read it was he was he really owned it he clearly really connected with this character what's your favorite victor garber role other than titanic Okay, Did you also, not watch Alias? Well, th I was just going to say, yeah. I haven't seen Alias. Otherwise, I think that would be probably be my favorite role it's of It's great. His. I know that Eugene and Victor have known each other for a really long time. When did you meet Victor Garber? I met him. I was in high school, and he was in uh, Godspell in Toronto. And my brother was dating Gilda Radner, God bless her, at the time. And she got Robin Duke, who plays Blouse Barn Woman, <laughs> owner, uh, ex-owner. Uh, Robin Duke and I were in high school together and uh, Gilda got us tickets to go see the show. We met Marty, we met Eugene, we met Andrea, and we met Victor. And yeah, he was had Jesus. You, the two of you worked together before? No. 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 It takes Sunrise Bay to bring you together. Yes. What oh, was it like was to perfect. step into that, uh, to get to play Moira at that stage in her life? Because we've really only seen it, I think, in the, in the video, uh, the sexual harassment yes. video. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a lot of discussion about how old I was then, how old I had to try to look, uh, whether or not we keep the wig that I wore to dinner in season one. And I think that well, I always figured that was the Vivian wig because I because I knew they were fans of the soap opera and I wanted to get my way with them that night. Not sexually. I wanted to get them to sign, sign the town to us. Um, oh, it was really fun. Uh, Victor said it was like when we actually did the soap opera scene, he said it was like doing an SCTV sketch together. And it was suddenly on this cheesy little you know half of a set just a bit of a hallway and it was fun really fun he's great there was another episode that had to do with uh alexis who had just broken up with ted and she starts dating this much older man and i went up to uh dan and i said what about victor garber for this role and he said, I'm thinking of Victor for the other role, for the, uh, for the former yeah, co-star for, co in Sunrise Bay. And I said, wow, that is great. I mean, not, not only because I just love Victor and we, all, we started out in the same show together, like in 1972. As, as as friends, Victor was already established back then. I mean, my God, he was he was in a great singing group, and you know he was do, he was he was doing okay. But it was it was my first show, and a lot of a lot of people that I started working with, Marty Short and Andrea Martin and Gilda Radner and 
you know, Paul Schaefer, and they, we all started in that show with Victor as the, as the star. So I love the fact that we were working together again. And he, he loves the show. He's a fan of the show. And he was so excited when we, you know, offered this uh, part to him. And he just killed it. He just, he was so great in it. Did you sing any songs together? No, we didn't sing any songs together. <laughs> no, it's hard to get, you know, it's hard to get, it's hard to get Victor to sing when he's, you know, when he's not being paid for it. He just can't, <laughs> but it's just, it's because he's, it's because he's just, uh, he's so humble and the great, you know, I, I, at the auditions for Godspell in 1972, I followed Victor Garber oh. and at the audition with about 80 people there, he got a standing ovation for his singing audition. And then they called my name. Were you giving him standing ovation? Were you just I, like sitting there stunned I was, and terrified? I, I was standing with everybody. <laughs> I'd never heard anything. It, it, it was, oh my God, it was so great. He hit such a high note at the end of his song. People just jumped to their feet and applauded. This is an audition <laughs> that everybody's competing for. And then they called my name. Well, it worked out. And for I both said, of you. okay, you know what? It's over. <laughs> I loved and cried my face off about those final scenes between Alexis and Twyla. I won some money in the lottery a few years ago. Oh my God, Twy! <laughs> Go you! Why did you not tell me this before? Well, because you guys had just gotten here and, and you had just lost all your money. What was I going to say? I just won $92 million? You won $92 million? Oh, no, sorry. Okay, okay, because I was like literally about to pass out. To me was such the example of their evolution of what they had grown into. I thought that was just such a touching end to a storyline and relationship that could have been very catty and very um, adversarial on a different show. And yet, uh, of course, because it came from the mind of Dan Levy, it was it ended and was always coming from a place of love. Uh, we actually spoke to both of them about their evolving relationship. Let's hear a little bit of that. Toward the end in 613, it is revealed that Twyla secretly won the lottery and has this whole time, in fact, had quite a bit of money yeah. while the Rose family obviously has been struggling to figure out what to do. Isn't that perfect? Yeah. I, I couldn't have been happier when I read that script. I was like, thank God, this is perfect. <laughs> and then you, your two characters have like some very sweet moments about that. Yeah. Talk to us about saying goodbye to Twyla, the character, but also the whole journey that you guys have gone on to come close. Yeah, that that was actually my first, first big cry um, was when Sarah and I had our last. Actually, we cried basically all day because we had we said goodbye to each other. We had our last scene in the cafe together, just Alexis sitting on one side and, and Twyla like mopping down on the other. And then our very next scene was when Twyla comes to give the check to Alexis. Um, so we were also empty of tears by the end of that day. But I love so much the relationship between Alexis and Twyla because it started out, I think one of Alexis's first interactions with Twyla was throwing a muffin at her back to get her attention yes. at the cafe. Yeah. And then it ends with this promise of visiting each other and this really special, lovely exchange of kind of a confession of true friendship. And Sarah Levy is such a dear friend of mine, and I think she's played the role of Twyla so beautifully and has given her such 
warmth and curiosity and kindness. And um, so it's been a really, really, I've just had the best time working with her. And I, I'm really appreciative to the writers for writing such an interesting kind of female friendship and weaving that out throughout the, the seasons. Nobody had seen that script and it was the second last episode. So everyone was really mentally preparing for the last episode table read of just like waterworks. And they had like a camera come in to ca capture everything. That was where the, little did we know it was the second last episode table read that was leaving everybody in a complete disastrous mess. And I could barely get through reading those scenes, let alone just, I mean, like everyone was sobbing. Um, but she she wins this money and knows that she doesn't want anything more but to live her life the way she's been living it in this town with these people. And she's wise enough to know that money can change you and and not everybody needs extravagance. It, it, you can just you can just be comfortable living your life and it doesn't really matter how much money you have. And I think everyone sort of wondered why she was still working at the cafe. And I, that is a que question that Alexis asks during that scene. And and she just loves being there with the people and, and watching families grow and kids grow and, and um, you know, her, her friends come in and that's, it's really all she needs. And I think that was just such an unbelievable learning experience for everybody because it's, it, it's just so, it's such a treat to see that on screen, you know, mm -hmm. such a wonderful lesson. Talk to us about uh, her and Alexis and the, the gift she bestows on her. So Alexis initially, um, I think gives Twyla the idea without actually giving her the idea of buying the cafe. Um, and she says, you know, it's it's okay to spend money on some things that are important to you. And I don't think that necessarily occurred to Twyla before that, that that was okay. Um, if it's something special and, and really means something. And that sparked the idea of Twyla buying the cafe. Um, and of course, Alexis kind of gifting some some dresses to Twyla as she was leaving. But the the second scene we have of that episode um, is really just a goodbye and a gesture from Twyla to help Alexis set up her life in New York. She knows David's not going and she wants her to be comfortable and Alexis was going to get this two-bedroom apartment and everything and, and having David pull out, she was just sort of on her own. And it was the the least thing that, you know, the least amount that she could do to, to send her off into the world again as a changed woman in a way. It's the same in a lot of ways, but but changed in, in more. So that was so, so emotional. I mean, we were a mess shooting that because Annie is such a special person to me. We've become such close friends over these past six years and we really cherished those scenes together. And having that be our very, very, very last scene, just the two of us was so emotional um, and sad and wonderful and, 
and all of those things because I just, I love her so, so, so much as a person. She's one of the best women I've ever met. And I don't think their relationship on the show would be their relationship had we not had the relationship that we had. And then for just like comedic value of of a master working at the top of their form, Catherine O'Hara and that um, Instagram live stream. Say hello to all my new hashtag friends. It's a little word I assembled to consecrate my fans who are also my friends. Okay, friends doesn't sound nice. You know, another moment I would add in uh, that was really lovely. Um, I loved the moment uh, when her mom gives her kudos and credit uh, as she's doing her press tour uh, and really says how much uh, Alexis was was vital in making that oh, a success. Oh, yeah, that was great. It was so great. Excuse me, but I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge my daughter, Alexis oh, Rose. Yeah. This whole PR coup d'etat never would have happened without her. We had the opportunity to ask Dan and Noah where they saw David and Patrick in the future. And here's what they had to say about where those two end up. Where would we go on our honeymoon? David and Patrick, the, the wedding's over, where would we go? Wherever David says, I think. I would say he'd aim for the Maldives. Too expensive. And then end up in Cancun. Yes. <laughs> Wherever David says, second. It would be a nice boutique hotel in Cancun, but they would be beside a rowdy hotel filled with people on spring break, and he would be pissed. We'd probably go over for one night just to see Maybe. what it was like. Yeah. What would our 25th wedding anniversary be like? Oh, I think that depends on a lot of things. I so think it depends where we're at financially. Uh -huh. Say we're doing well. Okay, if we're doing well. Well, I think Johnny has the has now, there's the motel chain that's coming up. So this apothecary is now in all the motels right. that they've built. So there's, there's built-in money. We'd be in our 50s. We'd be in our 50s. Um, I see us on the front porch of our home. Oh, that's nice. We have like a big... Yeah, we'd either have people over. We'd have to. Or no one would show up well, because David has turned everybody off. <laughs> and we'd just be rocking in some chairs, maybe having some skin contact wine from our store. Very nice. And bickering over something. I feel like Patrick at this point is definitely smoking a pipe. Oh. Don't you think? Yeah. That he's would grown be a, a beard. Yeah, that would be a conversation for he's sure. He's grown a beard and he's mm -hmm. smoking a pipe. And he likes to read. And yeah, I'll let you smoke the pipe. Go for the long pipe walks alone. On this anniversary. That's a nice time when you can do that <laughs> as a one-off. I would say when we get to Johnny and Moira's young age, that we would be, I hope that they are act as sort of a, a guide for David. Yeah. I feel like they, as, as dysfunctional as the family is, their relationship and their marriage has always been such a pillar of consistent strength mm -hmm. for the two of them. And I think in a subconscious way, must have informed David in terms of things that he wants maybe in his life. Do you think that your fashion your... sense would have evolved? Oh, it for stay... sure I would be dressed like Moira. Okay. By so 60, I would be, there would be full, and... we would be just in exaggerated clown-like bows. There would be, he would be the talk of the town. <laughs> One of the other biggest and ongoing and most emotional storylines of season six, of course, is Alexis and Ted. This was a storyline that, you know, I think everyone had really strong feelings about. This is a couple that had been brought back together in a really thoughtful way. Like they really found their way back to each other. And then to suddenly have this series of complications that made them rethink 
who they were as individuals and who they were as a couple was really complex. You can't move back here, Ted. You've just been offered the job of your dreams and there's no turning back now. What about you? What are you gonna do? I can't move to the Galapagos. I wouldn't let you even if you tried. It was also one of the most, I think Patrick, safe to say, difficult challenges for us as producers and as hosts of this podcast was we had all these great interviews with Annie and with Justin about that storyline. And I felt like if you listen to the weekly podcast, you often only sort of got to hear a little bit of it at a time. So here are more long, lengthy, unedited fewer people having to stop themselves or us having to stop people to worry about whether or not they might be giving something away. But here, Annie and and Dustin talking about the Ted and Alexis relationship. Well, I knew that it wasn't in the show's budget to shoot in the Galapagos (laughs) Islands. So I was like, what is gonna happen here? So they try and make long distance work. We see this really uh, touching moment with, with Twyla where she kind of sets up your anniversary dinner uh, tell us about filming that and and what went into the logistics of filming that even. Um, we shot that. I guess that was Dustin came in for two days of shooting. So um, we shot all of our Skype stuff together. So D- Dustin was actually physically there on the day, like many booths down in the cafe. Um, but it was a really sweet and sad scene to shoot nonetheless because um I guess we knew that it wasn't gonna work out but you just see the love and the kindness and the romance that still exists between these two characters and that you know Ted went to all this trouble well really Twyla went to all this trouble on Ted's behalf to make this special moment um and you just see how much they do miss each other and do love each other and um and Dustin and I have had, like, we've had such a wonderful acting relationship. And so we really were missing each other a lot. And so it was so nice to actually have him there on the day to to act along with. Um, so were you looking at each other? Like, like- no, I mean, I could just feel his handsome presence kind of down, <laughs> down the room. But yeah, I was just looking at a blank computer screen that whole time. <laughs> So in the midst of uh, Moira's crow attack going viral and like this great moment of success, um, Alexis cancels the trip to the Galapagos. Why? For a few reasons, I think. One, she realizes that she's kind of found her calling and she's doing a great job um, at work for the first time as an independent working woman. Um and I think she's also realizing that her family is counting on her, needs her in town. And she also realizes that um, her being there in Ted's work environment, I think, wouldn't be um, helpful to Ted. I don't think it would. She realizes it wouldn't really benefit either of them. So she comes to the difficult but very mature decision to to stay well, i know we're we're rooting for them yeah is do you feel like alexis is rooting for like if ted comes back next episode like is she back full in and 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 want would want that to all still happen i think so i really do i think if ted you know got f- fired somehow <laughs> sweet precious ted got fired from his job i think that 
um, that they would end up together. But it's just one of those shitty situations of circumstance where two people who would be great together just can't be. And that it happens all the time and it's sad and hard, but it takes two mature people to kind of come to that decision to, to part ways and love each other from afar. Let's talk about the the breakup scene. Can you kind of talk us through shooting that scene and what you thought, how was the table read for it? Where did that kind of start and how did it end up? Um, well, the table read was interesting because Dustin wasn't there. He was just a little tinny voice over the speakerphone. And the scene actually changed quite a bit from the table read to, um, to when we actually shot. Um, and when we actually shot, it was, a, it was a really sad scene. It was, it wasn't our very last scene that we shot together. I think it was our second last scene that we shot together, but it was still, you know, as I said, Dustin had only two days there and, um, the relationship has come to mean so much to both of us as actors. And we've had so much fun acting with each other and playing these characters, um, that it really was a very sentimental scene for us as people and as actors as, uh, and as, you know, in character as well. And every, the cafe looked so beautiful and the crew was all sad. And it was like, it was, um yeah, it was a really special scene to shoot. And I think it was, I think the way it was written really serviced the characters in a... How did it change? Um, I think the, the initial script was, it was kind of Alexis heavy. There was a lot of, there was a lot of words coming from Alexis. And I think the writers just ended up feeling like it needed to be more of a, a dialogue between the two of them because they're, you know, mm -hmm. two people going through this moment, not just one. So and we're only halfway through the season, really, at this point. Are you holding out hope that there might be some way of resolving this? Or what do you think is what's going to happen? What would you in your heart want to have happen? Um, I want Ted to kill the last tortoise accidentally and <laughs> and get fired, but then offered like a lovely job somewhere much more accessible and um, and metropolitan, and then they live happily ever after together. That's my hope. What did you think in general about when you sort of found out Ted is going to be off in the Galapagos, Alexis is not going to be there? How did you approach thinking about what that was going to mean for Ted and how, what you were going to bring to that character? Yeah, I mean, that was something that we sort of knew before going into the season. Dan and I had had a conversation um, just in general about, yeah, like, what is the best approach to this relationship now? Where do we, like, we've done the will they, won't they thing so much. So yeah. it's like, how can we actually, you know, pull a realistic and meaningful and still different kind of storyline out of this? And I think... When I when, when it came down to it, and I was like, okay, so this is what the dynamic is going to be for this final season. Uh, I loved it. I think it's actually a very honest and real approach to it. And I love, you know, these characters, they've had so many kind of silly things pull them apart. And I love that this is actually feels like real life. And I love that in this final season that it's, you know, as much as we've been living in this sort of fun, lighthearted bubble of Shit's Creek, that with these two characters specifically, and I think with everybody, but with Ted and Alexis, like, this is, okay, a real-life moment that people can really relate to. 
Um, you know, it's 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 something that a lot of people have faced and a lot of people have struggled with. And I think with Ted and Alexis to actually have them be like, yeah, wait, can we do this? Are we strong enough to do this? And and what is it actually going to mean if, okay, this first version of the plan of being long distance isn't going to work. You, you were going to be away, for, like we we're going to be apart for a little bit and then you were going to come. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, oh, you're, okay, we're going to be a little bit longer now. Yeah. Uh, and I just think that that's the, the creeping reality of, of what's coming uh, is sinking in for both of them. And it, to be honest, I really love that, again, as, as fun and lighthearted as a show is that there's this pretty serious and kind of sad thing mm-hmm. uh, between the two of them, which is like, oh, this might not work. So then we get to spend some time with the two of you on Skype. Right. What? How is shooting the first one of those? How did that go? Like, how did it work? So we shot all of the Skype stuff in one single day, which is my, very, <laughs> which is my, uh, the way the schedule worked out. It was actually my last day of filming on okay. the show, uh, and uh, it's bizarre. It's it's always so weird. Uh, you know, you're trying to create this, um, this this distance and the reality is I had Annie literally as far away as you are right now from me uh, reading lines like I'm sitting at a desk at one point and she's at on the other side of the desk sitting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but and, and to be, you know, I love Annie Murphy so much. She is so talented and so funny, but also such a gracious and kind and genuinely grounded human being and the best partner I could ask for. Um, and so there was something so wonderful and fitting and appropriate on, let alone a narrative, but on an emotional level, uh, just between us as actors to be there for what was my last, literally my last day of filming, uh, uh, to be there together in the same room, despite there being this huge distance. Uh, it was, it was strange, uh, and surreal um, but again, also just so lovely because I was sitting there with my buddy and we, and we got to have these little sweet moments. Um, and because she was physically so close to me, there was, I think, the intimacy was, I hope, uh, sort of came across as well. Uh, but yeah, a strange thing to have them spending so much time together throughout the entire series and then to sort of have this distance now. It was it was odd yeah. yeah was it hard to keep your eyeline correct with her being close enough or like her I'll, I'll say this uh there was a hockey game on that night so like <laughs> like i no matter what distractions i wanted to have because i couldn't indulge in any of it because like the entire crew was like okay let's go I'm just, we gotta get the, to the game like hurry up do your scenes do your scenes so <laughs> so it was uh i was i was pretty focused i you know there's a there's a lot of kind of longer speechy lines that both of us have in those scenes. And, uh, yeah, I, I just tried to dial in and focus on them because, um, yeah, as much as I, I'd love to have this indulgent moment, uh, emotional moment as, as an artist as, and as an actor, <laughs> I, I knew that my crew just wanted to go watch the game. In episode six of season six, Alexis decides to fully cancel her trip. She's not coming. You know that that is obviously going to change things. Where, how does Ted react to that? What's the, how are you feeling about that? So very, I think, uh, true to form, both Ted and Alexis in this moment when Alexis finally makes a choice, like, I can't do this, I can't go. uh, Ted agrees. Hmm. Ted 
of course understands and he sees it. And I think to me, that's what makes this entire relationship on this show so beautiful is we are fighting for love between two people who shouldn't fit together. You know, seemingly they're like oil and water, and yet there is this attraction there, and there is something as much as Alexis is is kind of very selfish uh, with an edge a lot of the times, uh, and Ted is kind of the antithesis of that. Both of them have this inherent sweetness that brings them together, and I think they keep fighting for this love, but one thing I know about life and that I am glad is represented by this relationship is that love alone is not enough. Mm. Love is not something that can maintain a relationship forever. We want to believe that. We want to believe that once you are in love, then that's, that's the end all be all. But life gets in the way. Love is easy. Life is hard. And I think that's what this relationship uh, represents in such a wonderful and, again, realistic way that they want to be together. That's all that they want. It's all that they fought for. But they can't deny that they have these paths in front of them that just don't cross over anymore. Um, and... It's it's bittersweet, but it's also like, yeah, this is this is this is how it has to be. Episode eight, pretty heartbreaking. Ted and Alexis break up. What was your? When did you first read that? How did you feel about it? Uh, I whenever the script came out, I don't remember. I mean, again, I Dan and I had had this conversation well beforehand, before they'd even written the season, so I, I knew what was coming and. Uh, like I had mentioned, like for me, the idea that I felt very strongly about was this notion that love alone is not enough to sustain a relationship. You have to be thinking realistically about about uh, just how you can actually uh, maintain something uh, in real life. And so, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking because it has been such a journey of ups and downs, and these people you want to say that they have a happily ever after together um but that is life in that every happily ever after does not mean you have to stay together and they had this opportunity to spend this time together and to grow together but it it had to end at that and the scene in the cafe reflects that. It's heartbreaking, it's sad. Annie has a beautiful performance in that, as she does with all of our emotional scenes. She's always so, 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 so good. I'm just in awe. Half the time I'm like getting misty-eyed, not because I'm in the scene, but just because I'm so impressed with her and I just, <laughs> I can just see her career ahead of this. Uh, no, but I, uh, I, I. Do you cry? Uh, like in the scene? Or, or outside of it? Do you I got emotional, I think, afterwards because, like the characters, there is that sense of like, so that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard. It, you know, as much as I, I pride myself on being pretty professional and, and being able to sort of uh, compartmentalize character from self, ultimately you're using your actual nervous system and your actual emotional um, um, availability in order to, to dive into that and so there is crossover it gets messy and I think too again I I love Annie so much and that's been my partner through, through this entire show like almost every scene I've done is with her so uh yeah it, it was one of those things where it's just like oh sh- shit can I swear on this yeah and I was just like oh shit that's it that's that's the end of it and and I I left um that that scene just being like so 
this is, you know, no matter what comes after this for these two people, this is the end of that journey. And yeah, it was it was something that I, I got a little misty about after the fact, um, when I was when I was at home alone, watching Degrassi reruns on TV. Like a good Canadian boy. Yeah. Like, is there a future world where um, Ted comes back from the Galapagos or whatever it is that happens where you can see them together, or do you feel like they're just going in different directions? I think. Uh, I think there's absolutely a future for Ted and Alexis. I think, though, it is um, no matter how many times they may run into each other in the next like foreseeable future, I think for them it's something where, again, they've had this, this, this short journey together over these six seasons where they have both grown so, so much and changed so much and understand themselves in a much better way than they did before. And I think now it's their chance to go off and kind of live in the world independent of each other with this newfound sense of self. And I do believe that uh, it's it's one of those things where five, ten years down the line, they may meet up again. Uh, there is there is absolutely a future for them, uh, but for now, it's it's meant to be that they are meant to be apart. Oh, that's a, put that mm-hmm. on a T-shirt. Yeah. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Welcome back. Every week, Patrick, we had a couple of things that we did on our weekly podcast, and I wish that we had thought of them when we were doing the binge episodes to start off with, um, especially the celebrity name drop of the week. So many great name drops. My favorite is probably the one that led to us making a definitive ranking of Backstreet Boys. You're starting to sound like me trying to end things with B-Rock on the Backstreet Boys Millennium Tour. Here's some of our favorites just from season six, the great many celebrity name drops of Schitt's Creek. Does this not remind you of that wellness retreat we went to in Evian right after Alexis ended things with Sean Penn? And I am including that Peruvian ayahuasca retreat we embarked upon with Alan Tipper. It reminds me of the Nickelodeon pilot I did in which Ashley Tisdale and I played suffragettes. Mm-hmm. You remember, you go, girl. Mm-hmm. John, were you able to return Bill and Melinda's call today about the... Mm-hmm. It isn't our very own little J.C. Chazay. Who? Ooh, we've been over that. I asked Stevie. David, you'd better be talking about Stevie Nicks. Diplo still sends me nudes. I once planned Megan Fox's bachelorette on this tiny island off the coast of Montenegro where nothing is illegal. Like nothing. You complimented my flawless skin and called me the Jewish Channing Tatum, which all tracks. Of course, I'm not married to Christina Aguilera, am I? When Demi decided on a Friday night at six that she wanted to celebrate her 40th in Aspen, her publicist had us in Parkas by seven. They're all for you. We're not those, those are from Joyce to Wit. At least the print ad worked out. Pretty hard to mess up one of those. Clearly you haven't seen the heartburn ads she shot with Ann Geddes. I did that with Harry Styles in England. It was like too rainy. <laughs> 
Where were you when I was dating half the cast of White Squall? Nicole Kidman signed off as Adriana's daughter. Nicole Kidman. Oh, you know, children, this is where the season picks up. When the cave starts talking back to me, voiced by the wonderful Peter Falk. Is it all right if I don't watch Panic Room with everyone tonight? Joe Foster once screened it for me privately, and I would like to keep that memory safe. Usually when someone sends a jet for you, it means he's very interested. Trust me. And Tiger Woods. I did bring down the house at Pat Sajak's first wedding. Oh, I remember that. Can I buy a vow? <laughs> It's so fun to get to hear all that again. Uh, you know, for me, I think the best moment of that is the escape room episode. Thank you, my weekend with Tom Hardy. England is here. We need to find something from Egypt. So like mummies, Remy Malik. And I thought that was just Shit's Creek firing on all cylinders. Um, uh, speaking of firing on all cylinders, there's a character who gave us a, a lot of great lines. Uh, and I think we would be, uh, very sad if we got through this without a, a kind of super cut of those as well. And of course, I'm talking about Miss Moira Rose and her Moira-isms, as we call them. Uh, so let's take a listen to a few of our favorites of those from season six. Oh, my legs are in slumber. Takeover, that sounds hostile. And what is this little mercantile establishment with the almost gallery-like austerity? Oh, Alexis, I think you and I might need to purchase antibiotics. I believe we've just gone viral. This is in no way an optimal viewing experience. The live crows on set welcomed me as their own. One even tried to mate. No, we must keep the carriage in the wake of the mare. I may have been wrong, and you may have been not wrong. I hope I'm not paying you by the word. Thanks to your little attack of the corfidae, you and Patrick are two good grapes. <gasps> Undesignated grapes! If I may impart a slice of marital sagacity. And what about the kids? We're just going to abandon them here? They're practically middle-aged. Be careful, John, lest you suffer vertigo from the dizzying heights of your moral ground. Stevie, you are blessed with anonymity and thus will never have to know the crippling fear that accompanies global repute. David, when did you become the grim reaper of romance? Either a flock of poultry has delivered its over <laughs> mid-flight upon our car, or I've become the victim of a vandalization. And now my return to prominence has painted another giant bullseye on my thorax. Well, it's not easy to disremember my final demise. Perhaps a little more housework and a little less mouse work might do you some good, Alexis. Adriana had a DUI last year. Popped a breast, poor dear. Before we find ourselves ebrious with uh, hooch and happiness, don't worry, I'm also in the guild. Your father and Stevie can use all the help they could get. Help? I said support, dear. Alexis, let's not count our poultry before it's incubated. Alexis, neurosis is not becoming on a young woman. Not to flog a metaphor, but wolf pups are born blind and deaf. And in your care, I have learned to see and hear the beauty in the bucolic. Oh, is it just me, John, or does the air not have a particularly lovely redolence today? Oh. Do I detect a scintilla of lavender? Our lives are like little baby crows carried upon a curious wind. Speaking of Moyerisms, there was part of our interview with Catherine uh, that never really fit into anything we were trying to explain and frankly was just almost a little too weird and esoteric to figure out how to do in a way that I was worried like wouldn't make it sound like we were either making fun of Catherine or like Catherine didn't get it. Catherine gets it. Catherine is funnier than anyone you will 
ever talk to without even trying and in the most humble way possible and seems to end everything by being like, oh, that wasn't very good. And you're like, what are you talking about? Here's Catherine O'Hara explaining a viral video. I don't I don't personally do social media. I get enough attention in my life <laughs> and I don't understand the word followers. What the hell? Um, <laughs> why? What's with the need for the followers? Um, but I do uh, uh, check out the Twitter page for Shit's Creek. <laughs> okay. Because Eugene made me go on Twitter so that I could see it. Because he said, people are so nice. You've got to see it. And he's, he's right. People, our, people who watch our show are the kindest people. Um, so, yes. So, there was a link on Twitter last, Twitter last week to, do you see the young guy talking to his one-year-old having a conversation? No. No, tell you us saw about that? it. Oh my God, this young dad who looks about 12 himself, really cute guy. And he's laid back on, you know, a soft chair or couch. And beside him in the foreground of the shot is a baby looking at diaper sitting there. And the dad saying, yeah, what about that? I don't think that was necessary. They're talking about some show. I mean, you know what I mean, right? You know what I mean? That What's that from? What's that from? And the baby is unbelievably expressive, listening to the dad, watching him talk. Then thinking about it, and then going, and the dad go, you're right. I know, man. Like, why? Why would it be like that? Why? And it was all kind of vague. Like you couldn't tell what he was talking about exactly, right? Then uh, he'd say, yeah, they didn't need that part, did they? No, it was so sweet, but really looking like he was having a conversation. How many, how many people did you show that to or tell about it? Well, I told everybody. I don't know if they looked. <laughs> Most people I told it about. Now so, I just want a TV, TV show where so you reenact, reenact yeah. viral <laughs> videos. Just babies. <laughs> With babies. No. All right. We know what you're really here for. You want to hear more from Dan Levy. We wanted to hear more from Dan Levy. Dan had promised he was going to come back to talk about season six. He promised it multiple times over the course of us working with him. Made good on his word. Sat down to, I mean... Like, what else is there to say? What else did we need to know? It turned out there were a lot of things that he still had to say about this season. Um, here's Dan talking about season six. Dan, thank you for coming back to join us, as promised, for I, season well, we couldn't, six. We couldn't just end at five. That would no. be incomplete. So It would be totally incomplete. And we're all very excited that... Um, season six will be on Netflix. It's been in and is on lots of other places. I saw it's going to be syndicated on some broadcast television channels too, I which is it amazing. Is. Um, so, hey, uh, congratulations. You've had a few things happen since last we spoke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, you know, a I couple. The show a handful. ended. The show. Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah, there was that's a finale. Mm-hmm. There was a finale. Yeah. And... And then you won some Emmys. Moira gets an Emmy along Moira with got you her Emmy. and many other yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Let's do this so that we can talk about the Emmys, but then also do justice to season six. Okay. Um, can you recap Emmys day and night in 30 seconds? Okay. okay. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Go. Um, well, we were going to have a much larger event because in Canada you could have a larger event for 40 people. And then the day before the Emmys, uh, the Canadian government cut it down to 20 to be safe. I'm not complaining. Um, but that kind of was in the indication of what we went into the Emmys. Is this 30 seconds? Anyway, this is what we went into it with. A little sort of cloud on our over, hanging over the event. And then I feel like what happened on the night made up for all of that. And hopefully our team was 
was happy, even though they had to be unfortunately uninvited at the last second. Okay, that was 30 seconds, 29 seconds. And I don't think that really did justice to to what the actual night was, but that was, I just gave you a 30 second context. Yes. But it really did speak to this, you know, this bizarre year because it was like, we're going to be in Toronto. We have all our, everyone who was nominated, you know, on the, on the creative arts Emmys night was going to come. And then literally 24 hours before we had to pick up the phone and tell people that we had to, you know, only include the nominees on the night and it was it it was a shame because you wanted to be there celebrating with everyone and there was so many people who did so much work fortunately they got nominated so i feel like they were recognized so that was good it was just you know an unfortunate thing to have to re 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 rejig things at the last minute okay since you you know won a couple emmys and broke some records along the way (laughs) i think we can give you 30 more seconds to recap the actual Got it. Telecast, party, night of, night after, whatever happened after yes. you won all those Emmys. We'll give you 30 more. You okay. get 60 seconds total because it was such okay. a big night. Ready? Okay. Go. Um, we had a lovely dinner. We didn't expect anything of the evening. I thought if all things went to plan, Catherine and my dad would win. That was it. We were up against some very stiff competition. And then as the night rolled on, it was becoming very clear that we were winning more than I had expected and then quite literally won them all. And you never go into something like that expecting a clean sweep. It was absolutely unbelievable, especially considering the company we were keeping. All right. That was pretty good. Did you have hours of wild after party? See, that's what I'm not giving you. I'm not giving you the salacious. You don't want to? Well, there was no wild after. I mean, there wasn't any. This is the strange thing about that kind of uh, of situation of, of night because people don't, I mean, why would they know? But you basically just go from winning things straight into some kind of press tour, which we were doing outside in a tent um, in Toronto. And, you know, as, as great as it as it was, it's, you know, I'm not complaining, but I am saying that you, yeah. At one, at one point, I called it. I just yeah. walked away because like, I was like, done. I can't have this night be marked by just, you know, 15 interviews with people about the fact that I won something. It feels kind of strange and it doesn't feel in line with the show or in line with me. You know, let the let the night speak for itself. We don't need to keep talking about, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We were very lucky and fortunate and that's that is that it was a very very nice night to remember for all of us and i was very emotional as was um indicated i guess in the memes and and gifs that (laughs) came out after of my various facial expressions but you know what i will say this from a psychological standpoint i went into this thinking like what do you do if something happens and and you obviously play to the fact that you you know i you know i don't want to play on a night like that, I did not want to play it cool. I wanted to let every emotion run through my body, and that is what I did. And I am not apologetic for having done it. No, you shouldn't be. Though I did look a bit. <laughs> you looked excited. You won everything. You should be excited. I know, it was weird. We were was all excited for you. Process. Thank you. <laughs> um, I know you said at one point in in one of those wins, you were worried that now everyone was going to turn on you. Have people turned on you? Has the internet I haven't, on you? I will say this, I have not been on the internet that much since, mainly Probably because wise. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to read anything. I didn't want to read some one single tweet that would wreck my whole day, because that's usually how it happens. You could read like a hundred great things, and then there's like 
one person that's like, they didn't deserve it at all. And that's all you think about. Um, so I wasn't going to let the, the internet ruin my, ruin my time. Good. And um, so, no, I haven't really been on there. Um, it's fine. They still love you. Don't worry about it. Okay, good. Yeah, that's we, good. We checked yeah, for you. I mean, you know, I, they're still I just, happy. It's, it's the times we're living in. It's like when when good things happen to someone, there's inevitably this internet sort of swell of like, well, let's bring them back down to earth. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I mean, guess I on the other hand, everything just moves so fast. I feel like today we're talking on Thursday. It's been like nine days since you won all those Emmys, and it already feels like two months ago. So because I think in the big grand scheme of things, winning awards in, in this year in particular is not what I would call um, necessary news. Fair. So, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about season six. That's okay. what we're here for. We're, we're here to, you know, folks who have seen it and are watching it again, or who maybe for some reason hadn't watched it yet, um, mm -hmm. or maybe just heard about you because you won all those Emmys and was like, God, I guess maybe I should watch this show. And are Who's finally the guy in the skirt? That's all I kept well, reading. <laughs> Who's well, the guy in the skirt? Well, they remembered you. I'm it like, was a it's great a kilt. Skirt. It's a kilt. And, you know, if I wear a skirt to the Emmys, so be it, please. Thank you. And we know, inspired by your Correct. finale wedding outfit, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, let tell me just quickly, why did you, why did you want to do that? And how did that happen? Is it like literally a replica in a different color or is it just sort of like It close? is Tom Brown. We went, yeah. I went back to Tom Brown and, and asked if they would work with me on putting a, a look together for the Emmys that kind of, you know, was a wink and a nod to David's wedding look because I thought, why not? Mm -hmm. You know, it's a different kind of night. It was, a, it was a lot more kind of casual in a way because we were in a tent in, a, <laughs> in like outside. Um, so I thought, why not do something fun? Why not honor the show in a way that kind of felt festive and, and special? And, um, and they came through with like a gray version of the suit. It was a tie instead of a bow tie. Um, and I just, I mean, you know, I felt great. It looked amazing. Thanks. All right. Season six. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to recap season six in 30 seconds? Like oh, we boy. did with all of the other seasons. Okay. I know it's been a little while. Mm -hmm. I think you I'll can try do my it. best. All right. Ready? Yeah. Go. So season six was basically wrapping up all of the four roses and their stories in a way that hopefully would send them off as better changed, evolved people. Um, it also was revolving around David's wedding. So the majority of that season was sort of building up to a wedding, all the, the highs and lows and all arounds of what happens. Um, but ultimately, our, our goal was just to make sure that we wrapped up these stories in as thoughtful a way as we possibly could. And I think we I think we did. What you have you have three seconds left and you nailed it. <laughs> well done. Well done. Okay, season six. Mm -hmm. I think the last time you and I talked about season six specifically, we and you coming back to do this podcast, what we talked about was biggest controversies, like things people were surprised by, things you were you were surprised, people were surprised by. Okay, so the drink with Jake, that was a big one, and that had um, from what I was told, I guess the like Reddit communities and the, you know, the online communities were very divided. Yes. A lot of people were incredibly protective of David and Patrick and their relationship and didn't feel like they had to do that. Felt like they were essentially sort of undermining their solidarity by going and potentially involving a third person, which to me, I never quite understood because I felt like we had always depicted David in particular, but, you know, David and Patrick's relationship as being incredibly 
honest and open. Um, and the fact that they would have this conversation, the fact that they would entertain something like this, um, and then both agree to it, felt very respectful of who they were as a couple. And obviously it didn't happen. They, <laughs> they walked into a much larger party than they were expecting. Um, but I felt like it was representative of relationships that friends of mine have had, um, you know, and I, and I also just felt like David has always been incredibly kind of sexually empowered and, and open. And um, I didn't want him to necessarily lose some of that fun um, by settling down with Patrick. And, you know, it was a, it was an exploration of relationships and conversations mm -hmm. that I think a lot of couples have. Um, so I stand behind it. I don't think it was disrespectful to their um, relationship at all. In fact, I think it strengthened it. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, people, it's more an examination of why people got so upset. Is it scary? You know, is, is the concept of, of having fluidity in a, in a sexual sense and relationship scary to people? What is it? What, I mean, what was it provoking? That was the bigger conversation that I was sort of having with myself. Um, but, it, you know, you, in order to kind of keep people on their toes, you got to, you got to throw some spice in there. Yeah. Every week on this podcast that we did for mm -hmm. the onset weekly companion for season six, we uh, we picked Patrick and I picked our best favorite celebrity name drop moment mm -hmm. um, that had been worked into the script. Who is your favorite from season six or from any season? Your favorite celebrity who was mentioned worked into the script somewhere. I don't even know if it's a particular celebrity, but rather probably a line. Um that was written that happened to involve a celebrity. I mean, I, I think that, you know, Alexis getting held up on David Geffen's yacht was a great reference. I think the Jared Leto um, sweater, you know, uh, storyline was, was kind of great. I think, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I loved Alexis um, at one point talking about how, um, about competition and then saying it, you know, how she didn't have competition when it came to um, Pippa Middleton and Rihanna. Yes. <laughs> Which killed those for Alexis's are, compliments. Um, those are good, you know, yeah. Getting, yeah. To write, getting to write the celebrity references was was a, a joy. It was really one of the, the fun parts of, you know, sitting down with the script and saying, okay, well, what could she have possibly done now and who with? Yeah. Uh, the other weekly recurring um, thing that Patrick and I did was always talk about a moment that made us laugh the most and that made us cry the most. So from mm. season six, specifically, what is a moment that made you cry the most and then one that made you laugh the most? Ooh. Well, I think like inevitably, uh, it was probably the last scene where we're saying goodbye at the motel, only because, well, for a variety of reasons, but that was our last day ever. So that scene was the, was the last scene that Annie and I shot. Um, we were wrapped out shortly after that. And so even before we started shooting it, even at the rehearsal, Annie, who had been very stoic and very sort of um, didn't cry, didn't really express a ton of emotion over the course of the season while I was just a mess, I wondered whether she was ever going to crack. And then we did the rehearsal, the sort of blocking for that scene, and she could not get through it. To the point where I was like, oh no, like we're gonna need to start this scene at least with all of us being fine. 
um, she couldn't get through it. And in a way, in a very kind of sadistic way, I really enjoyed that because I was waiting for that <laughs> for that moment. Of course you did. Um, but yeah, it was very, it was an, inc- it was unbelievably emotional. And, you know, you're saying goodbye to people. You know what I mean? It's like, we, we couldn't have written a, a heavier kind of um, scene to go out on um, because yeah. so much of the lines were being blurred between actors and people and, and knowing that this was going to be the last day that we, we got to play with each other. Um, so that was the saddest day or the saddest scene for me. And then I think one of the funniest scenes um, was probably episode one of season six um, when David was kind of having a, a fit over the wedding venue and the exchange with Alexis realizing that she wasn't going to be there. I just thought the whole David Alexa storyline in that episode was so fun. And it was so fun for Annie and I to play because I think, you know, we always really get a kick out of the, um, the stories where we're, where we're either like trying to con each other or pull one off on each other or in combat with each other. And it really kind of played to that in a, in a really fun way. And, you know, Annie's, um, line that she says as she walked out about how she'd never wear a tankini. Um, you know, the whole, that whole day getting to shoot in that location, it was, uh, it was just a great, it was a great time. You know, I almost never do this, but I actually, I went on Twitter and asked fans for questions. Um, because, no, mm-hmm. because we just, we've talked, you and I right. have gotten to talk so much about yeah. this season. I was like, what else have we not asked? Mm-hmm. There were a couple of really good ones. Okay. Um, so let me ask you a couple of these. We can do them really okay, great. quickly. Great. We've mostly seen summer, in Schitt's Creek and a little mm-hmm. bit of Christmas, but mm-hmm. what would Halloween be like? You know, we always played around with the idea of doing a Halloween episode. The reason it's always summer in Schitt's Creek, aside from just the fact that I think it's just a joyful time, like, you know, winter is not, it's not, I certainly don't like winter and I don't feel my best <laughs> trudging <laughs> through sludge. Not to mention the fact that we just couldn't, you know, possibly sure. shoot then. So we had these winter, we had only summer months to shoot. So, you know, what a what a kind of fun way of playing just the summer months of these people's lives. And that's, um, it worked out well for us in that capacity um, because Canada in the winter is, would not be an easy shoot. No, um, but what would you wear? Like, what would be a David Halloween costume? Oh, right. That was the question. Yeah. I would probably say he would go for like, some of the more gothic kind of characters. Like I could see him dressing as like an Edward Scissorhands. That would be great. You know? That would be perfect. But then I can also see him not having a costume and then at the last second, like pulling off a very bad Dracula and being very upset about it. Is David a couple's costume or not a couple's costume kind of I guy? would imagine probably not. I don't think he okay. likes to be buoyed to someone else in the chance that that other person doesn't pull their weight. Do you know Fair. what I mean? Like he would allow, like he would dress Patrick anyway, right? It's not like he was just going to let him go exactly. off. Exactly. Or if it was a couple's costume, like he would be the bride of Frankenstein and Patrick would be Frankenstein. Something that was like yeah. in the background and kind of out of the way. Yeah. I like that. You know, a lot um, of people dressed as the roses for Halloween. So well, I'm curious I, I just kept, they Last year we got so many pictures and this year with Moira's wedding look, I just thought like, I can't wait to see these Halloween costumes. And now I think Halloween's been canceled. Maybe people can, they'll all get, maybe they'll all get dressed up in inspiration at home and send photos anyway. (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. I got a lot of questions, obviously, about David and Patrick. And so much of that we have gone through. But one question I feel like you and I maybe talked about a little bit, but not for the podcast, which is Mm -hmm. what would David's life have been like if 
Patrick hadn't come into it. So when we talk about how, you know, like Noah came onto the show, it worked so well, he stuck around. Mm-hmm. Even if that had or hadn't happened, if there was no Patrick, where would David's storyline have gone through those last three seasons? Well, I think he he made the decision to open the store um, on his own. So my hope would be that even though he was completely inept and had absolutely no idea of running a business or how to even begin, that he would have found his way through. I mean, I think the intention of all of these characters is that they were on a path to be kind of more self-reliant. And I think an important thing for, for me in terms of writing all of these characters, particularly David and Alexis, I think it was all about self-reliance for those two. And I wanted to make sure that when it came to their relationships, that even though they met people, that it wasn't a reliance on that person, that that person could change them in a good, in a great way, but not in a way that would have left them, you know, worse if they weren't with them. I think it's about like, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So I would hope that David would continue to find himself and continue to kind of grow. I think Patrick just opened up a side of him and um, gave him kind of a safe space to do that quicker than he would have done on his own. Yeah. Okay. Very popular question. Whether there's like a box set or not a box set, do you have bloopers, gag reels, outtakes that might see the light of day? People in particular wondered if there were more of Patrick's parents uh, sort of as part of the wedding that maybe Mm. got cut out. But in general, like what's in the can that you're holding on to? Is there more that fans are going to get to see? Probably not. And I say that only because we didn't have the budget really to do a ton of outtakes, particularly in the last season, particularly in five and six. We really were tight. The timing was so tight that it was full steam ahead. And whereas, you know, earlier we might have had a little bit more time to play around or make mistakes or, you know, laugh. This was, we were really under pressure because we were essentially taking the same budget we had from seasons one and two and now, you know, making five and six out of them. So unfortunately, probably not. I will definitely be scouring to see if we have something. I'm sure there's going to be something. Um, Extra scene with Patrick's parents, no, that never was in the script. You know, I think when you come down to it, there was a ton of conversation about like, do we make the last episode an hour? And everything about it felt wrong. Um, I would have loved to, to have told an hour long story, but our show is a half hour. So to change the format, to, to make it a bigger thing than it actually was, felt like we weren't doing our jobs properly. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we've always had like 22 minutes to play with. We have to tell this story in 22. I mean, we extended it. I think it's 25. So anyway, so the challenge was really getting to the to the grit and the guts of of the story, and it felt like to focus on the roses, um, knowing implicitly, being able to read between the lines and say, okay, well, we know we're filling in the blanks with this whole wedding. We know that there was a party after because we saw them all dressed in the clothes from the night before. You know, that was kind of written in to imply that there was a really fun party oh, what happened what happened at that party a lot of debauchery i would imagine <laughs> i would imagine there would be some karaoke you know uh alexis i think really let loose i would in my head it was a time where they all knew that this was going to be the last hurrah for them for a long time so they all just went buck wild <laughs> Um, so yeah, no. And you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of people have seen stills of certain episodes. I think in particular, the, um, open mic night episode, there's a still, um, from a scene that we shot 
where Patrick and I are, are kissing and there's been so many e- or text t- tweets that I've gotten saying like, show us the scene. Release it. And the reality is oftentimes when it comes to deleted scenes, they were deleted for a reason. Either they weren't helping the story. There was something about it that just wasn't as exciting as the rest of the scenes in the episode. So it wasn't included. And, you know, I don't necessarily want to release stuff that we deemed not good enough. Um, And that happens with every show. There's scenes that sort of fall through the cracks. And we actually did shoot, I've never said this before, so why not say it now? But we did shoot an alternate ending to the finale. And it just didn't feel right. What happens in it? um, It was sort of an extension of what happens when, I almost don't want to say because it's going to color people's perception of what happens, but there was an alternate ending um, because I do know that if I talk about it, it's going to sound better than what actually was, what was, what happened. Um, But it was just, yeah, it was an extension of what happened when Johnny and Moira drove away at the end of the episode. There was a little added thing that on paper I really liked. And then when we shot it and put it in the episode, it just felt like I wanted the focus to be about the family and then Johnny and Moira. I didn't want anything to stand in the way of that. I wanted the last impression that people had of our show to be the goodbye and then Johnny and Moira in the car. Um, And sometimes, you know, you try things and they work and sometimes you try things and they they don't. But um, I know, I'm sorry that I can't get into more specifics. It's it's such a tease. But you know what I mean? It's like, I feel like if I were to paint that picture, people would have been like, Mm -hmm. I would have loved to have seen that. And now at least no one knows what it was in order to compare with what we've done. Okay. Okay, um, we'll let the mystery continue at least like <clears throat> until the next time we talk for exactly. some kind of anniversary. Let's give it so some time. Drag it out of let's you. Let's let people watch it on Netflix. Let's you know, and then you know we will circle back in a in a once some dust is settled, and I can I will <laughs> uh, I will explain in full detail. You have my okay. word. I I will I will keep you. You came back for this season six recap, so I have every reason to believe you will come back for more. You'll- I will always come back to this. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking this time. Congratulations on every level. Just so, like, what you made such a great show, Dan. I couldn't have been happier to see it. It's like it was shocking and weird, even from afar in a completely outside way, to be like, I can't believe this is really happening. It just kept happening. Oh, no, it was beautiful. It was the most joyful energy in that tent on Emmy night. It was just the most unfiltered, pure joy. I think because we didn't expect it, we weren't on a level, I mean, technically we're not on a level that should experience that kind of um, success. It just wasn't, it was, I've said it before and I'll say it again, like it's an impossibility. We were going against, I mean, there are shows in those categories that have spent so much money to campaign. On the show, and on then the show, also the campaign, and the campaign, yeah. and in a that way, feel I feel like you know you earn this. Like you, they're on no level. I mean, I think 
there's always more great shows than what actually get recognized at an awards, right? And there were, you shouted out Issa Rae's show. There's, there's like mm-hmm. so many great shows. But you guys have to know that you you earned this like the really old fashioned way. You just worked your ass off and made a great show. Thank you. People recognized it. It did feel great. And I think that's where so much of the, you know, the excitement came from was like, I was just to see these people. I, you know, I said to Annie, as we walked into that tent earlier in the day um, before the broadcast, I had been thinking about in my head, this moment, um, our very first scene together, we're both sitting on Johnny and Moira's bed. And it's the scene where we were playing never have I ever. And it's so vivid in my mind because it was such a formative memory for me. It was the very first scene we were shooting. It was the very first day on set of a show that I had built. And I turned to Annie. I was so scared and so nervous. And you're sitting down and opposite my dad and Catherine and the reality and the, the momentum of the, the, the weight of that moment kind of really hit me hard in the sense that like, I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to, you know, I, I'm, I have not had a ton of acting experience. And I turned to Annie and just like looked at her and we, I just said like, are you, are you a little nervous? And she was like, yeah, I, I almost didn't show up today. And there was such a comfort, I think for the two of us in that scene and in that moment to know that we were going to do this journey together, that we were both kind of, relatively green actors who were given their first big break and who knows where it would take us, but the excitement was there and the nerves were there. So to walk into the tent on, on Emmy night, I kind of like, I was walking with Annie and we were all dressed up and our show now had 15 Emmy nominations and we could have never seen this new exciting life for ourselves way back when. And I told her that like that memory was on my mind for the whole day. It's just like, it was all I could think about was where, where we started from and now to be there. It, and that was just, that was just going to the tent. We didn't even know what was to come. The excitement for me was about how this show changed our lives. And she was, she was right there with me. She was like, I know I, I have, I can't, I go right back to that moment too, because it was the first, it's your first memory of something special. So to watch our whole team win, I was, it was an out of body experience. And then I think when it came to, to Annie's category, there was this building pressure because so many people had won and in my, you know, and obviously I knew that she, deserved it she was the work that she did was so extraordinary and i think she made she made the 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 conversation of comedy and drama and and riding that fine line she made it look so easy that my fear was that maybe people would just think that it was easy because yeah she made well, it look and so she easy. and i talked about that people often were like oh wait you're act- oh you're acting you're not right. this character like she, she could not be so- farther from alexis yeah and she leveled that up in five and six, like so much. It, it was the work she did was extraordinary. And I think, you know, there was, there was this very clear front runner in that, in that race, obviously. And um, so there was this anxiety that we, I think we all just admitted after the fact of just saying like, Annie kept said to me after she was like, I just didn't want to have to be the one to apologize for breaking this, the streak. 
And then her name was called. And I have never felt so much excitement for another human being. I was, I I mean, you could see it now if you watch back the clip. It was, I'm like jumping up and down. There's actually some behind the scenes footage that someone took from the tent of her name being called. And the camera kind of pans across the tent. And you can see every single person reacting in a different way to her win. And it was almost like the drama of it all building up to her, defying all expectations, and then winning. I was, it's extraordinary. It is absolutely extraordinary and so deserved. And um, I think when she won, I, I, you know, that was, that was it for me. I was, I was dead meat. Thanks did great. I'm proud Thanks. of you. Thanks. Good. Thanks good for talk. beating along with us for this whole ride. <laughs> I, you know, it's like, been so great. To proud to be. Um, you guys made made some great stuff, and I'm glad that you got to end an experience that I think brought so many people so much joy and comfort in a place of like such pure joy for yourself. It feels like the perfect circle. Yeah. It was nice to be back in Toronto. It was nice to be with people. You know. At, in our you know hometown where we, where we made the show it just all felt very organic in the same way that you know when the when the season finale aired in the midst of the pandemic being at home with people getting to sort of interact with people online um it just felt so you know as as tough as it was obviously we wanted to you know get out there and do screenings of it and stuff it just in a way the intimacy of being part of the community that built the show um, online was, uh, it felt like a very, um, it, it was very on brand, I think, for the, for the community-based element of everything. Ugh, like it, like I need, I need there to be an animated Christmas special. I need there to be reunion <laughs> specials. I need us to have future reasons to get together and share our what? conversations. Two potential reasons called the Golden Globes, which have not been like the most friendly place to Shit's Creek because they, I think it's not international enough. But I maybe we'll see because this is a weird year for the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards, where last year they were nominated for Best Ensemble. So. Not the absolute last stop that of is maybe true. seeing them out there for this. Yeah, but I need more. I need more original content for you and I to get on here and talk about. Um, yes, I agree. Because I will tell you, like now, the, the best thing about uh, releasing this binge episode is that now I can finally go and listen to the final episode of EW on set um, for Shit's Creek because I will. I'm not gonna lie. I definitely was like holding off to like listen to that at a, like a really low moment in life or really happy yeah. moment maybe because it would be sad. But I didn't want it to be over. I didn't want that journey to be over um so i haven't listened to that last episode yet that's why i haven't rewatched season six yet yeah. like i i haven't really even sat down to rewatch the whole show now i can finally finish ew on set and then i'll just hold this episode uh to listen to um when i when i really need it um i'm a completist so i'm very glad that Same. we got to come and finish uh this ew binge series on on schitt's creek uh, it's just been such a pleasure to get to know so many um, Schitt's Creek fans on on social media. And thank you so much to the fans who have helped make sure that other people, A, watch the show. So it's on all of us to continue to answer that question if someone is like, should I watch the show? Yes, you should watch the show. Um, but also, like, genuinely, thank you so much to all of the fans who also said, oh, and also listen to this podcast. So we appreciate it. Mm-hmm. 
you can find me on social media at, at Patrick Gomez LA and Shana, where can they find you? I am at Shana Naomi. I have loved the fact that folks have tagged us in different fan creations. It like makes my day just to see them and I'm always happy to pass those along. So please, please continue to come find us on social and let us know that. You can also always go to EW.com or EW's social to see more. Please stay subscribed to this binge feed um, or if you're listening on the Onset feed or one of our other feeds. We have a really exciting uh, season of binge coming up in 2021. Um, I feel like it could be more different from Schitt's Creek, but I'm not quite sure how, which is um, our loving tribute to all of the Fast and Furious films. Um, that's gonna be hosted by Derek Lawrence and Chanel Johnson from EW's team who collectively love that series um, at least as much as Patrick and I love Schitt's Creek, if not more. Maybe more, which is scary. Maybe more, which is pretty intense, but like actually like have convinced me that they're not that different because they are both about these like kind of self-made and, and family moments of people coming together to love something and try to make that be a force of good in the world. So uh, come for Schitt's Creek, stay for Fast and the Furious. Why not? Um, thank you, everyone. Thank you to Dan um, for coming back and joining us and everyone in the Shits Creek team who's helped make sure that we've been able to bring this to you, the fans. Thank you for listening. Um, this is EW's Binge. Binge.